I do want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to have an introductory verse. And then I'm going to MC this thing, go through a couple of photos. There's really not that many because we don't only have so much time. And then I'm going to give these guys some priming questions. And then towards the end, instead of our intercessory prayer time this evening, that'll be our question and answer time. So if you've got a bunch of questions, we want you to ask them. We want you guys to know what we're doing down there in South America, what the Lord is doing, and how he's using this fellowship. And then also a big thing that was implanted on my heart was sharing more about um, the Lord, uh, what I feel the Lord is leading us as a fellowship to the future and where we're going to be focusing our efforts and we'll kind of let the night play out and just be led by the Spirit. So let's go to Romans chapter 10. <coughs> Romans 10. I don't know, I'll tell you when I get there. That's in the New Testament. Yeah, just because we're having a panel doesn't mean the heck that has to pick up. <laughs> All right, and let's begin with the word of prayer. We're going to we're going to start in verse thirteen. Lord, we thank you once again for the work that you're doing there, the work that you're doing here. Also, pray along with Zayden, Lord. We pray for this nation and also the things that are happening in this world. And I do thank you that you're in control of all things. And I thank you for what you have in front of us and the work that you've given us. And so we pray that we would put our hands to the plow and be used by you for your good work and purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. So beginning in verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who <coughs> preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I read this whole section so we can get the proper context of this text. You know, Romans chapter 10. The comparison is that the nation of Israel has kept the word of God and the law of God. But now the Messiah is for the fulfillment of that law. And they're preaching first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And the reference here, as you go to the latter portion of this chapter, is that these Gentile believers who are inherited into the family by faith alone, children of Abraham, like it says in the book of Hebrews, are now provoking non-believing Jews, Jews that don't believe in the Messiah, because of their closeness and intimacy to God. And so I'm going to go off on a tangent now, which means I'm going to stretch a little bit. Was we're talking about this missions trip, you know, it's, we're not going to a land of people that haven't heard about Jesus. You know, they're doing a great job there. They, ninety uh, percent uh, of the populace there is Roman Catholic. They know about Jesus, 
Um, but the Word of God and the teaching of God's Word, that is what uh, we're seeing with the Calvary Bible Institute, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But I also want us as a fellowship, I pray, to be provoked to jealousy to some of the things that are going on so that we have that same desire. Because sometimes we are just so spoiled, we think the Lord's going to do it all on his own and we get to be spectators. But it's our feet, it's our lips that the Lord wants to use uh, in order to do those things. So the first thing we got is that South America is what's been put on my heart. Specifically, uh, we're going to talk about some particular regions, but we went to the little blue state on the left, Peru. You can see it's a giant country. Um, I didn't realize really how big it is because the map doesn't do it justice until I superimposed it on the United States. Now, it's not as big as the United States, don't get me wrong, but I highly recommend you do that to see how big these countries really are down there. Um, what I wanted to start with is the Calvary Bible Institute. That is um, who we've met up with there. And I'll talk a little bit about it. And then I think what I'm going to do, Zach, is in prep. You can, I want you to share for a few minutes on your first trip that you did down there last year. But Calvary Bible Institute was started um, a few years ago. I don't remember the exact uh, date that it was. Around 2014, I think it was. That was the same year that I came out here to South Carolina. Isn't that what uh, Joe said? That sounds about right. Yeah. And they have multiple campuses. So the main campus is in Yucca Valley, California. That was the first one. And they have the one in Peru. That's in Trujillo, where we were. They have one in Guatemala. They have one in Georgia, the country, um, south of Russia. They have one in Nepal. I think there's two in the Philippines. There is one in Israel. It is in Caesarea. So it's a little bit more in the central side. It's not in the danger area right now near Gaza. Um, and, but there's a lot more coming, and if you go to their website, the calvarybibleinstitute.org website, they'll show you all the locations where they're planting them. And I'm going to give it to you for a little bit. So first, do you remember and want to talk to them about the class itself, like how long it is and what the students do and its purpose? Sure. And then talk about your first trip. Okay. So as far as I know, uh, they bring the students in, the way that they matriculate into the program, I think, is done a variety of different ways, but down there, uh, a lot about uh, when I was down there two years ago, it was about 50% of the students were Venezuelan, and so they're escaping the country of Venezuela looking for a better place to live, and um, so there's that uh, source of people coming in that way, and then there, there's some local Peruvians, and then there are other people from around South America, as well as there's a, uh, some a couple of U.S. students that had gone down there. Now, when I went down there before COVID had just started, so uh, I think that there's a little bit less uh, less than normal uh, U.S. presence than there normally was, just because COVID kind of messed things up a little bit. But uh, once they get into the program, it's about, I believe, two years long. Like you said, one year. What's that? It's one year. Oh, it's one year. Okay. Yeah, like you said. Like I said, <laughs> one year. And, uh, and so... Basically, they just they have all these different guest speakers that they either come down in person or they or they're, they're uh, on a VTC and they're all Calvary Chapel pastors and they basically just teach a book of the Bible pretty much at a time. Uh, I, they might do. I think they also do. Uh, they're real big on inductive Bible study methods, so they'll they'll teach the inductive Bible study method very thoroughly. And then also, um, it's not just receiving. They also 
test them out, and they get to uh, they 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 get to basically teach Bible studies. They lead prayer sessions. They go out in town and they and they do things out in town like different types of events, as well as uh, they have their own church there. And so, um, you know, they'll actually rotate some some guys through, um, and they get to teach there too. And so, there's a bunch of different things going on. But uh, I think the last thing I'll say about the school is that. It's not necessarily like a regular school like we would envision where you go and you learn and then you go somewhere else um, and you apply what you learn somewhere else. In that country, uh, you, don't, you don't have to go far. You, you can literally just leave the compound and you're in a very needy area. And so a lot of the guys are doing uh, street evangelism and everything right there in Trujillo. And so uh, not that we couldn't do that here because we could do that here as well, but uh, it just seems like they just go right out of their front door, and they're just right there in the missions field, and and so I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's kind of cool because it's very interactive. It's not just information. And you were you went two years ago. When did you start coming to Calvary Low Country, David? Almost two years ago. Almost two years ago. Oh, I started in Savannah. But here in the Low Country at the real Calvary Chapel. When did you start <laughs> I believe uh, March 2020. Okay, so yeah, almost two years. We won't count next time. Okay. All right, so you're going to see how that's all starting to tie together as we go through. So the first thing we want to talk about is CBI Peru itself. So that's the campus that Zach visited two years ago. Uh, I became friends by happenstance, lucky coincidence, sarcastically, uh, with Corey, who founded it in, guess what year, 2014. Um, they started the CBI down there, and then I met him at one of the pastor's retreats that I've been to when I've gone to Arkansas. He just happened to be there that year because he was sick and had to go to the American hospital for a, a few months. And that's going to come up here in a little bit too when we talk about Ed Health. But um, I shared with him something that's been on my heart, and I think that was about two, that was three years ago because then you went right after pretty, mm -hmm. pretty closely. So let's talk about the actual campus itself. I tried to get some videos, and I think this is one, but you might have to click a button in the back, Mike. See if there's a, on the top of the slide. Oh, I think it's going to go. No, it's just not working. Is the PC loading on? Well, whatever it is, you broke it, Mike. Oh, it's working on these. It's oh, it is working here. Okay, so we, it's not working in the back. Is there, is there audio? There is audio, but it's just like background noise. But this is the main... Uh, this is the hallway area, and then this right here is a coffee shop, and then this is one of the main foyer areas. This is where if you were on the WhatsApp, you saw us on the scaffolds. We were working with uh, those sun canopies there, and then Zach built the um, the table for the coffee shop or the, the counter. So, and then this is another portion. This is the entrance as you come in. So you come in through those big metal doors, and then this is the front area, and then the church is on the left here behind us. But you can see they're setting up for the actual conference itself there. So we kind of wanted you to see the campus. There's an overflow chapel there. I didn't get any pictures of the actual student dorms because they're in the second floor, and they're quite frankly none of our business. But this is the main sanctuary here, and this is the first session of the conference. It's just a photo this time. And I think they, what did they say, 500 people were signed up? That's what they said, 500. Yeah, I, I thought it was insane until we had to clean all the stinky chairs. This is, oh, they had all the chairs. And um, that was actually the first thing I think we did when we were there. No, it was the scaffolding. Scaffolding. So um, we just helped the students 
while we were prepping all the chairs that they were getting ready for, because these aren't their sanctuary chairs, they were getting ready for all of the different pastors. So uh, before we go into the next portion, the conference itself, which is what we were there for, is a church planting conference. It's also a conference for all the other Calvary Chapel pastors in South America. They're invited to come and visit and be there and to be fed and to get the same heart for planting churches in their countries. I mean, there's, the soil is ready there. And so, David, from the conference itself and the teachings, was there one thing that really popped out at you? And by the way, these guys had zero time to prep, by the way. So you're getting the real natural raw answer here. Um, I mean, nothing really out of the ordinary, just how committed the people were. Like, and I'm not just talking adults, teenagers, kids, everyone regardless of what they're from. They're committed to the work and to the work that they're doing there. They're really knowledgeable and they, they're eager to want more, to pursue more. I was jealous of it. He mentioned it, I almost stayed. <laughs> I was like, if it's just one year, it's not too bad if I stay one year here. Because, I mean, honestly, you feel the attraction towards it. Like, everybody is so focused and devoted and it makes you almost want to be like them. So that's what spoke to me. And everybody's ready to serve. Nobody's willing to ask or be asked. They just go jump in and do it. And I think you noticed that too. And that was in your heart too. Since day one, we didn't sleep. I think we, we went over 24 hours before this go up. And I was like, all right. <laughs> but then we just dive in. And uh, that's what spoke to my heart. I feel like we don't have the same heart here. We should. And speaking of serving, so there's the actual conferences going on for the first few days. The sessions are there. I'm quite frankly not really there for the sessions, though. I'm there for the school and to meet the people and to be with the students. And so, like they were saying, we jumped in to help and work. And then we also went to the sessions and then we kind of overlapped. So one of the things that we did that was real fun is we literally peeled potatoes <laughs> in the kitchen. So. These students that David are talking about as they're prepping, they're preparing meals for 500 people at the same time. And that, you don't see it, but that room behind it, that's the kitchen. It's small, it's the same size as our kitchen. I'd say about the same size as our kitchen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're prepping all the food out of there for all the people, and they did, and they didn't miss a beat. In fact, I told these guys, hey, we're not gonna eat lunch because I think they're gonna run out. I don't think there's enough. But we, we both ate, and there was, there was plenty out there. Yes. So I was like, oh, I guess they know what they're doing around here. <laughs> Um, I have some photos. This is a photo of a dinner that we had after the conference. That's Angel with the, giving the peace sign in the back. One of the elders from Calvary Chapel Trujillo and then some of the students here. Um, we just happened to all meet up at, and this was right next to our hotel. And I thought that was really cool just to meet up and, and see some, some familiar faces. And then this one, Zach, I wanted you to share about this one because that was another major portion of the is uh, sending out for more Bonta. Yeah. So uh, the guy who is third from the left, his name is Andrew. And uh, the theme of the conference is commission. And uh, he was sent out uh, literally on the last day of the conference to start the church plant that has been in the works for many months. And, and, uh, and I got to meet him the last time I was there. And, and we've been kind of supporting them for the last couple of years through prayer, and then when he started to uh, branch out in his own ministry to start this church, um, you know, I continue to, to figure out how we can continue to support him. 
But anyways, uh, one thing I didn't mention was the last time I went down, the initial reason when I was going down there, I was supposed to, I was supposed to meet them in a city called Moyobamba, which is not where the CBI is. They were going to do a basically a missions outreach trip uh, for the same week I was going down there before. And Moyobamba is a city that's uh, near the jungle area, and they had already identified Moyobamba um, at least two years ago that that's an area that they want to start to invest in and possibly plant a church. Well, uh, sometime in the last two years, Andrew got the call to be that guy to go out there and start the church, and, and everybody else in that photo is part of the team that's going out there with him. And so, basically, this picture is just us with that team, and right now, they, they're not there anymore. Right now, they're an 18-hour bus, 18 bus ride to the north, and they're sitting up there in Moyo Bamba, eating bugs and uh yeah, they literally eating caterpillars yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh yeah they're starting church their first service is on the 15th so this sunday and uh they're uh, a good sized group from calvary Trujillo also went up there to kind of help them get the church you know get some traction our fellowship though kind of got to support them a little bit because we got the stuff together yes yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, I, I asked them before we came down there, is there anything we can bring? Because you can't just mail stuff down there. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Their mail system is not like ours. And so we each brought luggage with us, and we basically just dropped off a whole bunch of stuff. They asked for basically stuff to just start their church with. So for us, it was basically uh, a bunch of children's church supplies. So everything from crayons and scissors and painting, paint like finger paints and all kinds of stuff like that. So we just loaded them up. And, uh, yep, Sunday's our first. I was so happy to get rid of that luggage. Just <laughs> take it. Um, so for his calling, he's from Colorado originally. He's an American. And he went down there for a mission trip to come and visit it. And then um, he felt a call from the Lord. And Corey had told me, oh, was he with us? I don't know if he, he had told you guys, because I, I don't know, it's such a blur, I don't remember what conversation you guys were. But he goes up to uh, Corey early on, and he says, um, yeah, if the, if the Lord calls me here, I'm going to stay. So he went down there for a one trip for the big group for one week, and at the end of that week, everybody else went home, and he stayed there. And he stayed there ever since. And so he's been teaching in, he's completely fluent in Spanish. He teaches Bible studies in Spanish as a non-native speaker, and then now he's the, the senior pastor of the new church up there with his team. And then one of the people from the team, one of the young ladies is from Mexico, too. So you have native Peruvians that are from the jungle area, and then you have uh, from Mexicana, and then you have Andrew out there. And it was fun, that dinner, that um, picture, you can't see him, I'll go back. He's actually on the left, right outside the screen of this shot. So Andrew's having uh, lunch with us as well over there. I was already really sick by this time. I think you were too. You, I don't think you. Were I wasn't even in this picture. Yeah, you were sleeping. Yeah, we were praying for you. Um, so, and then last thing, what was the Lord speaking to you on the conference session before I go to the next? Um, the the same thing that I shared in the announcements on Sunday, which is just that um, five times in the New Testament the Great Commission was given, and there were Jesus's last words after he returned from the dead. So we should definitely uh, listen to that. And then the last thing was, is it was simple. I think that going down there, knowing that the theme was the, the Great Commission, I was kind of assuming there was going to be some complicated things I'd have to figure out or whatever to see what, you know, what are they trying to teach us. Um, but I think it was Corey that said, it's simple. You get the call, 
you're qualified and then you go. Yeah, yeah it's pretty easy. So just that. But for me, it was being with the students and just being reminded the application of our faith. You know, just being, just going to work and just serving there. And it's not about just always going and receiving. That's a very, very important part. But it needs to be put into practice. And it's just great to hang out with the students and uh, work with them while they're ministering to a lot of people. You know, a lot of these pastors are coming in, and these are their conferences. I'm spoiled. You know, I can go to Stone Mountain. I can go to Arkansas. I can hang out with my pastor friends here, uh, but these pastors in Calvary Chapel, they might be the only Calvary Chapel in their entire country, or maybe two or three total in their entire country, so they're isolated. So when they get together for that experience, it just was really great to be uh, serving them and be in the background, so that was cool. Um, one of the main things that we needed to do while we were out there, or we got the opportunity to do, was... Um, as we'll, this will all build in later towards the end, but it, Corey felt an important, it would be important that I met with Angel and that we got to serve with Calvary Buenos Aires. Uh, so that had not been planted two years ago, that was only nine months ago. So what was Angel doing when you were at the uh, He was two years ago. He, he had either just graduated or he was about to graduate, and so he was just kind of seeking his calling at that time. He was actually considering maybe going back to Venezuela. Mm -hmm. He was considering multiple different things. And so it probably was about six months or eight months after I had left when he got that call. And this conference last year was when they sent him out to plant Calvary Blanchard. So it's been just over a year that he's been at New Church Plant. And from what I understand, when Corey was in the States for months getting his treatments, that Angel was the interim pastor of Calvary Trujillo yes. at that time. But then for the last nine months, he had, they had planted Calvary Buenos Aires. So Buenos Aires is a, I never got it straight. Maybe David, you can help. It is a town or it is a barrio in Trujillo. Which what is it? The way they explain it, it may sound like it was a county. Like a, like a region. Yes. Yeah. So we still don't have a clear answer on that. Uh, but the church is here. This is where it is. You can see the church even though you can't point it out, in this neighborhood. So we're overlooking the neighborhood right now. On our backside is the ocean. And that's where they live. Um, this is inside the church. And I did, I have a lot of other photos if you guys want to see, but we're going to run out of time. Um, you can see the light coming through. There's no windows. It's like a shed. The, um, they, have, they just got a metal roof over it. They were very excited about that. And um, the fellowship, this is what was left of the fellowship after about like three hours or four hours after we had had lunch and everything, and they just wanted to take one last picture. But that's where the teaching is being done from. Well, we'll show a couple more pictures. Um, like I said, the most important thing for me was meeting people. I just picked one photo of one person because we don't have enough time to talk about everybody that we met. But this is Jose. He is from Venezuela. He's a full-time cab driver. Um, he's being discipled by Angel. He's a servant there at the church. Um, it was just great talking with him. And then I have friends that are co-workers at my tent making job, which is in construction. And it turned out that friends of mine at work came from the same town that he did. And so they're texting each other on WhatsApp and I'm like passing the phone. And they're, they're seeing what street they're from in Venezuela so that they could see how close. And it turned out that one of my closest friends, father-in-law, grew up on the st straight, same street that he did. 
And so we were talking about what a small world it is because here I am traveling to Peru and I know of somebody here in Bluffton that just happened to have grown up or lived right next to him. So we'll see some more of that quote-unquote happenstance here in a little bit. Um, this next one is super important. I'm going to let David explain this, the native Venezuelan. So what were we doing here, David? Uh, we were making uh, Peru. It's called Parrilla. Uh, but you guys pronounce it Parrilla. Um, it's, uh, so we have chorizo, beef, chicken. Um, and so we donated a uh, grill to the shorts. And then so we were trying to get them to have a great time with us and be able to get to know them and know their story. So they were just cooking all that. It took hours because it, so it was so much. And uh, it, it, I guess the charcoal wasn't lighting up as, as fast as we wanted. But um, yeah, so that's what they were doing there. It was a great time. But this was an authentic Venezuelan. Oh, yeah, that's, an, that's yeah. Venezuelan style barbecuing. I will say, as an American, it was so hard to find beef. Yeah. We went to three stores. They they had like four aisles of chicken and um, pork and fish, and then they had like one thing. And in Peru, that's just not a thing in that area. I mean, Angel was Papa Angel was mentioning how beef is too expensive, so people don't get to consume it as much. They also don't produce it as much because they know the population did not buy it. And so even while we were getting it and we were getting the grill, Peruvians were staring at us. He mentioned it. He said, look at the lady. She's staring at us. And I'm like, which lady? That one. Why? Well, maybe it was the six foot tall white people that were with you. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> he said, like, no, but she was staring at the grill stuff. So uh, she goes, they're dying used to, they want to get the grill because they don't have things to grill. So it was shocking that you know he was saying that. I'm not really surprised because that's also how Venezuela is. Um, but the beef farm is that's really extreme, amazing. So, so they, I'm sure the church population, they were like the members on that Sunday, they felt you know like tempered a little bit. Which the Lord provided through Calvary Chapel Low Country, the grill, all the ingredients, the whole the whole um, experience. So that was a lot of fun. And I think this is a video of the teaching. Uh, Angel took this one on Sunday morning. And I'm attempting to speak Spanish, so nobody needs to hear that anyway. <laughs> and then you can see David's with me. And so the way that we did that, it was a lot of fun. Um, so I, we had prepared it together, the message, uh, David and I. And then I did a portion, most of the intro and the outro in Spanish and then the verses. And then he would translate my English but then he would also help me with because I'm reading Spanish and I know I'm not reading it well so you'll see me like look at him and then we make jokes at him, it was a lot of fun uh, how do you think that went? because they're going to lie to me and tell me it was great but. I think it went fine uh, there were some weird looking faces because like you said some of the words I said I don't know yeah but I think that was just probably confused but I think it went fine to you the first time it's like my pastor always said, it's never as good as they say, and it's never as bad as they say. <laughs> I think it was nice. And then, uh, yeah, I definitely felt like the message itself was. There was a particular person that reached out to both of us, and he said, this message has spoken to me more than any other one. And then, um, <coughs> Zach and David, you guys led worship, how did you feel that one? In Spanish? 
Uh, went pretty well because I think we had some good practice. Yeah. If you guys don't know, uh, there's this huge, uh, I'm being sarcastic, uh, Monday night Spanish Bible study that we've been doing really for the last probably, what, year and a half? And uh, it's just as much for us to learn Spanish uh, as much as it is for, you know, we want to be able to minister to the local Spanish community, by the way, so it would be great if maybe that starts to happen, if that's what the Lord has. But um, anyways, we've been able to play Spanish worship songs through that. So anyways, we just busted out a couple of those songs for this, and, and it worked. I think they were surprised. <laughs> yeah, Angel himself was way more surprised that he was yeah. a Spanish singer than he was at my Spanish teacher. <laughs> I mean, that's all he talked about after the fellowship. But that was, was a lot of fun. They saw how terrible my Spanish is when I spoke. So, right. <laughs> how is this possible? <laughs> um, so then, in uh, talking with Angel, you know, we talked a lot about uh, Venezuela. We talked a lot about that fellowship. That fellowship is like seventy percent. Um, it depends on who you ask. Corey tells me they're 90% Venezuelan. Uh, Angel tells me they're about 70%. And then the other 30% are, are going to be your native Peruvians that actually live in those areas right there. And again, the fellowship's only nine months old. And um, it's just it's really exciting to see what they're, what they're doing. And then you have some other Venezuelan students, like you were saying, a lot of them in the campus itself. So you're, you're hearing that word over and over and over again. So when I was working, or started working at Superior Services, which is the job that I had outside the fellowship, over the course of time, uh, we hired a Venezuelan, one guy. Uh, I had never met a Venezuelan before, and I had just started these new departments and divisions in the company, and he and I worked together a lot, and we worked late, and we worked in some crazy places. And then he started bringing on some of his family members to work with him, all Venezuelans, and then I, excuse me, on some of these late night trips, I'm asking him more questions. I'm asking him about the country. I'm asking him about the background. I'm asking him about how they got here or why they got here. And I'm starting to get more and more information. And then the Lord is just putting this country on my heart more and more and more. And then I'm having dinner with his family. He's having dinner with my family. And now there's like 15 of them, 20 of them. Um, well, Venezuela used to be one of the most prosperous countries in South America, if not the number one, all the way up until, what would you say, David, like early, 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 early 90s? Um, then they started having some government issues and a, a, a radical change in the government's direction. They had a, uh, a coup, and they changed the constitution, and they started uh, making changes, and then it was a gradual Decline. I know I'm going to talk a little bit about Venezuela's background, but I want to talk more about how the Lord has been putting this place on my heart. Because through that relationship, I'm now starting to, at that time, I'm starting to learn more Spanish, which I had a heart for when we cal planted Calvary Chapel Soledad in California, and the Lord closed the door there. And he's bringing me back this more into my memory. And then I'm starting to get a heart for this place. Then I go to the Arkansas Conference, and that's where I meet or uh, retreat. I meet Corey there, and Corey's living in Peru. And I'm saying, oh, that's great, you live in Peru. I've really been thinking a lot about Venezuela. And he's like, all the people that are there are from Venezuela. I'm like, man, that's kind of a weird happenstance there. He's like, you need to pray about it. You need to have somebody come down. You need to check it out. I'm like, I know just the guy. I'm going to send this guy. 
down there. And then about uh, a few months later, this guy starts showing up. Actually, what happened is, David doesn't know it, but Nick had called me from Calvary Chapel, Savannah, and I had been telling him about, you know, how I've been praying about this place, and I've been having these conversations, and these things have been happening. He's like, oh, yeah, we got a guy in our fellowship from Venezuela. I'm like, you? Yeah, you could do need him. And then he goes, oh, yeah, he lives in Bluffton, by the way. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, then we got a little bit more serious as we joke like we often do. I said, well, you know, wherever the Lord has him is where he has him, but I need to talk to him. Um, and then how did that go from there? Because I didn't talk to you until you started coming. He mentioned it like three times. And I'm like, I don't care if my friends are here. But I never really came here. And so I drive to Savannah every day. And there were a couple of Sundays where I was like driving, going to church. And Carmen even mentioned, you gotta go. And I'm like, yeah, but by the time I get there, it's gone at this point. And then I knew it was like, maybe I'll go to the one in here and give it a shot. And it was five minutes away, so I could make it. <laughs> but I couldn't make the one over there 40 minutes away. And I'm like, I'll just go to this one. Oh, you were late that day? Uh, no, it's not. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, I came here and then I sat down. You, know, you were late to go to Savannah, though. I was late to Savannah. Because and that's why I came here. <laughs> there you go. And so ever since I remember, I got in there and I was like, why am I going to Savannah? Because <laughs> I, I just saw the whole church. Uh, family members, and I was like, oh, like way better. Do you remember, did we talk on that first night? That was the night when the first day I got to meet you, and you were like, you're coming as well? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <coughs> and about Nick, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he mentioned you a couple times, but I just didn't know you, but you know anybody here, so I felt like... So I was smart enough not to go full send your first day here. <coughs> no, you were, because then you took my number, and then you're like, hey, nice to meet you. Why are you came here? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, that's not that smart. Fun. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. And I was like, oh, I feel welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to some facts to change the subject. Five years you can see the Lord you... me. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying... <laughs> I got this straight from the New York Times in an article. It says the average salary for a public school teacher or nurse is roughly $3 a month in Venezuela. The average salary for a private sector employee is $160. And the monthly cost to simply feed a family of four is $372, according to the Venezuelan Finance Observatory, a nonprofit organization. So forgive me on some of these other numbers, but... 30% of Venezuela's population has emigrated out of the country because they cannot afford to live there. Venezuela, since about 2008, has the highest inflation in the world. They have what's called hyperinflation. If you're a historian, you think of what happened in Germany between the world wars, that's equivalent of what's happening. I've seen it, uh, it's gone up and down a lot, but I've seen the currency go from like 20,000 bolivars to $1 as the currency exchange rate. Then in, uh, what's happened is the government has taken a very sharp turn to the left um, and the militant kind. And what I think it was 2018, the United States put a full embargo or a full um, stop on the Venezuelan government. So they do not, the United States government does not officially ex uh, Acknowledge that the current Venezuelan government is an actual government. Uh, politically, they are 
backing a different person, but I have seen politically that that is changing quite a bit right now. They're kind of like not sure how they want to keep doing on that. Long story short, I feel that the Lord has this strong community here, that he's impressed upon these people in my life and in the lives of this fellowship for us to do something there in the future. Um, regarding the sanctions, the United States government says, and I actually put it up here, it's EO13884, it's behind if you want to read the details, you lawyers, but it says that if it is for, I'll read it to you, the sanctions block all property interests and property of the government of Venezuela that come into possession or control of U.S. persons or U.S. jurisdiction. The Venezuelan people are not subject to comprehensive U.S. sanctions. Sanctions do not preclude United States persons from exporting or re-exporting items to Venezuela, provided that the transactions do not involve sanctioned individuals or entities of certain prohibited activities. Those involved in exports or re-exports to Venezuela, including exports or re-exports related to the activity authorized by OFAC, should also consult the Department of Commerce. The most important thing is this, where it says, as of August 5th, 2019, the sanctions do not prohibit transactions involving the government of Venezuela that relate to the provision of articles such as food, clothing, medicine intended to be used to relieve human suffering. So even there, there is some variables. But we can su support and do work in Venezuela as long as it has nothing to do with the Venezuelan government. Uh, the problem is this, though. Venezuela is number one on the list next to Afghanistan and Iran of places not to go as United States citizens. Um, number one is the Venezuelan government has been known to take American citizens captive and use them as uh, political pawns. Um, it's very high risk for bribery. It's one of the most, Caracas is one of the most violent cities in the entire Northern Hemisphere, the Southern Hemisphere. I think they go back and forth with the city of Honduras, I believe. Um, specifically, the United States uh, government says that you should not travel from the airport to hotels in Caracas as a tourist. And so it is not an inviting place at the moment. That being said, uh, you can still go there. And there are people that we are connected with that live there every single day. And we're just praying right now for the future about how the Lord is looking to use us to help the Venezuelans and to plant Calvary chapels. David, how many Calvary chapels are there in Venezuela? Zero. Zero. How about that? Well, it's the only country in South America with no Calvary chapels, I think. Huh. We're going to have to do something about that. So we'll see what the Lord has for that. So uh, we have about 10 more minutes for questions, uh, for interrogations. So anybody but the Russos can ask, ask questions. Okay, anybody but Miss K. How many students are at the school desk? I think 30 students. I believe there's 30 resident, and then that they have a non-resident students now as well. So there, I want to say they're up to like 70 or something like that total. But it's more than just the resident population that they have now. And I know of the 30 that are on site, the majority, the overwhelming majority, are sponsored or are um, scholarships. And so Calvary Chapel Low Country provides two scholarships per semester that we provide for. 
and then we just had a board meeting and we'll be increasing the support for that area as well. That's a great question. We've got icebreaker. What's the next one? Our next trip, I don't know. I, mean, we're, we're, I know one thing, I'm never going to South America without taking an antibiotic again. <laughs> I learned that lesson the hard way. Uh, but soon, who wants to go? We'll send you. We'll send you to Venezuela. We'll fly you to Caracas. <laughs> the government does say you should get kidnapped in service. <laughs> and um, what does it say? I was just reading it. The Department of, uh, what is it, the Department? That does a foreign affairs. Oh, yeah, the Department of State said that you should get hostage insurance and you should get emergency medical evacuation insurance if you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry? Well, according to the Department of State, it's only certain ones that are level five. This is level five. Mostly, which, what she's saying would be medical. Oh, medical ones. Yeah, oh, medical yeah. yeah. Well, I went out there with none of that stuff. Well, you talk to us. I just didn't listen to you. That's what happens. No, you talked to me, and then I chose to ignore you. I had David. I got a question, David. What conversations were happening in Spanish that we didn't know? Like, good, like a good, good ones. I was just translating for you guys most of the time because you were there. Well, I mean, we were walking around and we were driving around like uh, the taxi driver, the, the hostess, you know, they never had any weird conversations or random questions or... <laughs> Most of the questions were yours about parts of the city, so I was also translating. That's true, because I'm <laughs> interrogating everybody. Yeah. yeah. I got to know every taxi driver there was in that town, I felt like. Yeah. But their stories were just so fascinating. Yeah. Every single one of them. Did you feel welcome? That's called ignorance, but yes. Yes, yes. But there were definitely times where I was being warned over and over again, put your cell phone away, you know, um, don't don't be taking pictures here, or uh, keep your cell phone, this is a big one, keep your cell phones in your front pockets, put your wallet in your front pocket, you know, depending on where you were. And then um, there were other areas that you just felt like you're not going to stay here after dark. Right. Kind of like New York City? No, way worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a landmine, I'll say it. <laughs> you said uh, a, a large percentage of the students at CBI were from Venezuela. Uh huh. And do they have, any of them have plans to go back and start a Calvary in Venezuela? Or? I want the Lord telling you. <laughs> I'm not from Venezuela. <laughs> I would say that we all need to be praying about it because there's definitely. I mean, I mean, any was there any talk of those students there of any plans to go back to Venezuela? Or yes, but the hardest part of this is that I don't want to. You never know how the Lord's going to lead these kids, so you don't want that pressure on them. But if they grow into that calling that some of their teachers and elders think that they're going into, then we would definitely be ready to support them right away. But we need the Lord to lead them. One of the things that I was telling the church planners there, these guys can attest to because they know this as well. The biggest church in Trujillo, at least the biggest one we saw, was uh, the fanciest and cleanest one was what? The Jehovah's Witness. The Mormons. The Mormons, the Mormons yeah. church there was huge. Gold, well manicured, 
And my point to them was this, is that man can build religious institutions. I mean, we can build churches. I mean, that's not an issue. It's just it's the Lord in this. Is this actually from the Lord? So that's my point, is that we want the Lord to be leading on this. I am so excited. I've been praying about it for years to see what's going on. But I don't want to step in front of the Lord. So I'll be praying for that. So yes, but I can't tell you is the answer. When, when we would go on a mission trip, there was always something that the Lord had showed me special. When you were there, had the Lord shown, given you something special there? Well, we can go from the hunger to the <laughs> hunger, hunger for the word. We don't have it. You want to elaborate on that? I mean, that's like a bumper sticker. I just feel like, like I mentioned at the beginning, that these kids are so committed. They're, all they talk is about the work and what they're doing in their life and uh, how they're working towards help build a church or help go somewhere or the institute. And I think it's because I was close proximity with the student. Maybe that was why. But, and then the whole self-centered topic of the Sermons is you know the Great Commission, so maybe that was why. But I feel like in here we're so distracted by our daily lives that we don't go through the same. So these people are like very, like basically they live there, and we don't really do that. So yeah, we're too busy with our secular stuff. But the Lord shows us that. I think for me, maybe the biggest thing would be that, uh, like in Acts 1 8, Jesus says that you're going to be witnesses to me um, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and you couple that together with anybody who's a Christian, you're part of the, the kingdom of God. And so then you go there and you get to interact with people that speak a different language in a different hemisphere, and yet they're your brothers just. The same way that you know your biological brother might be your brother, um, so that's cool to be able to take part of that. And then on top of that, like that's level two, and then level three, they're planning a church in Moyobamba, and so they're going out to the ends of the earth. And and you, you kind of feel like you know you're in the middle of getting to actually take part in Act One A, and so it just kind of feels like you're you're a part of that great commission. And so for me, I mean, that was kind of a big thing. Well, for me, it was a confirmation of the calling that you know I've been on my heart. I mean, the one thing that directly affects you guys is to be, just being told that your fellowship needs to know what the Lord is putting on your heart and the direction. And so I want to do I want to be more vocal in that because um, our greatest strength here in this fellowship is our greatest weakness, and that is we want the focus to be on the reading and teaching on God's word and nothing else. So we don't want it to be like what is. Pastor Mike's calling, or what is he want? How is he leading us? But at the same time, you have to walk in that calling that the Lord's giving you. If He's giving you that message, you got to share it. So we're going to do both. Um, the second one is tied into that one, which is it is way better to be behind the scenes and just let the Lord work and just don't touch the Lord's glory. He's going to do whatever He pleases, and it's just so fun to be behind the scenes to know things are going on and that the Lord doesn't need you at all, but. Um, he will use you if you just um, stand in his way. So that's the fun lesson that I got. 
We've got time for a couple more. We'll go to some overtime. Because Melissa Germishausen is in the back, not my wife, so Zach's got to deal with it, not me. So. <laughs> I've got a question for David. How many times were <laughs> How many times were you called Gringo? Oh, I'm like, they didn't even think I was Latino. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you speak Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny they said that to me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something and it just disappeared. Wait, yes, ma'am. How did you feel when you came back to Alfredo? Uh, me personally, I felt like we were, we were so spoiled. We were so ridiculously wealthy here, it is obnoxious. It's almost embarrassing how wealthy we are. Uh, so that's how I felt. Well, besides sick. <laughs> I've spent a couple of years in Afghanistan, Iraq, and then down there. So uh, I think I have a pretty healthy dose of every day. I see what we've got here. And you can ask my kids. They hear it from me every single day about how good they've got it and everything. But I'm always grateful to come back here. And <coughs> both David and I were rejoicing when we made it into Miami. We had a steak and potatoes uh, <laughs> the night we got back. So, why didn't I do that? <laughs> and David? Yeah, same. I mean, coming from Venezuela, I know what it feels like. I grew up like that. I went through that with those things. And, and sometimes you just don't see it because I have a very particular way to be or behave. But a lot of people think I come from a different background, but I don't. I actually come from Trujillo, to that place, from living in a house like the one she left on the video. So, it's pretty humbling to reconnect to that because living here has been 10 years since I moved to the States and God has provided for me and my wife and my family and he has blessed us a lot. And so being able to reconnect to that and see it again humbles you down and just makes you realize how good you have it. Again, even though I know how it is, it just sounds like you gotta really so you can feel more grateful. And so, yeah, once we came back, I was like, I'm grateful to be back here again because it was almost like, I mean, I wanted to say in the Institute, just in that little bubble, but going through the whole motion of like, you know, their needs and what they're lacking and the whole community, it kind of hits you again. So, getting back here was really good. Yeah. Plus, some people were questioning whether I was going to be able to come in or not, so yeah. I'm, able, I'm grateful that I was able to be let in. Every, you have some PTSD every time you're trying to get to customs, because <laughs> you just feel like things will happen, but yeah, I'm grateful to be able to Well, and for Venezuelans, uh, you're it's pretty much a unicorn with a, yeah. with a permanent status, yeah. a permanent resident status. Yeah. But remember, the United States does not acknowledge the Venezuelan government. So to get a Venezuelan visa for another country, David had to go to Mexico in order to get his passport renewed because there is no embassy and there is no consulate for Venezuela here in the United States, nor is there the American in Venezuela. So it was very difficult for him. And then he had to get a visa to get into Peru, and that was a nightmare for him. I was calm the whole time. I didn't really, I thought the Lord was going to handle it, and he did. Yeah, he did. He, he did uh, help me in the end, but it was very stressful because you would think, being a permanent resident here, you would have open doors to go to other countries. But being from Venezuela, you don't. So going through that was really stressful. But I think it was just 
sense under law to, for, just for me to wake up and realize that he's in control because the way that happened, you would not tell anybody. I, that I know that, but it was a miracle that I got that visa. And it didn't involve bribery, you guys. I don't want you to think anything else. We would have if we could have, but we had that option. Yeah, but yeah, it was Scott, honestly. And so he brought me there because they got to meet me. And so I'm grateful to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, any last uh, last couple questions? I told you no. Know. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead. Or David. With our friend, yes. Yeah, how did you get him? How long did it take you to get him to smile? <laughs> Man, I think probably three days. <laughs> well, once you guys made it a game, then it was a game. Yeah. David, did you give up your your citizenship? No, because I haven't become a U.S. citizen yet. Yeah. So when you become, I, I'm supposed to, and you're supposed to sign a document here. Your parents well, don't care about it, so you technically don't. So will you, if, if they don't care, will you have dual citizenship? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But I'm three years away from that, and I have legitimate All right, last one. How can we help? What's, what's, what's the fault for us? The number one thing for us as a fellowship to do is to, number one, pray. I mean, we can't reiterate that enough. We act like that is the thing that we do when we can't do anything else, and that's silly. Um, if you haven't read the New Testament or been obedient to the Book of Acts, if you think that way, um, so you get at least one lecture tonight. And then number two is, you know, when we give our offerings to the Lord, that's what we're doing. You know, we come here and we give tithes and offerings and <coughs> over and abundance and you know just gifts back to the Lord, but. That should and, and that should be out of the outflowing of our heart in gratitude to who he is and part of our relationship. But then we also need to know that he is using that. And he is using that whether it's for this fellowship, for the preaching and teaching of his word, or for bringing that teaching to the world through social media. But it's also in missionary works and in church planning and supporting these other things. And we never highlight that here in this fellowship because we don't want it to we don't want you to think it's a transaction. This isn't a religious store here where you're buying uh, holy points because you feel good about giving money to a missionary. You know, if you've been around here long enough, you've gotten that lecture from me once or once or twice at least about how you know no, we just we just give to the Lord and how the Lord sees fit. But that being said, you know, I I want to just plant a church in every single town in South America. If we had the budget, we would do it. Uh, so we just want to be led by him, and we want our fellowship to be led by him. And if the Lord is leading you to do something crazy, well, then go for it. And if not, well, then just pray. See what the Lord does. That's, the, that's our call. Again, man can make religious institutions better than anyone, but we want to have um, the Holy Spirit to be empowering his people to have his word done and preach the way that he wants it done. Hey, Mike, you said there's no Calvary chapels in Venezuela. Have you looked at other missionary organizations that are in Venezuela that might be helpful? Yeah, but I want to keep it in the family. <laughs> well, like, you could, you could, but there's other people that can help you along the way that are willing to do that. Have you looked at that? No. I'm not trying to be obnoxious, but <laughs> it might be an avenue. I don't know. But. Okay.
But if you if you come across something, I'm not going to turn it down. You know, definitely. Well, like, I know like, I know that when we went to Indonesia, we was no missionary group that we that was in Indonesia that we were part of, but we were seconded to another group and able to <laughs> do your missionary work in that yeah. other group. So I mean, there, there are avenues where you can plant the church through another organization and still be a Calvary church for Calvary. So it's, it's something to look at. Well, I'll put it this way. When I first came to Calvary, when I first came to South Carolina, I had a meeting with someone that wanted to come along. They wanted me to be introduced to this person to uh, plant a church here at, in the Bluffton area. And I thought, okay, I'll meet with anybody. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, this person who's, you know, still in the community, a great person, um, came to me and we talked about church planning. And I felt called to come here and find a church. I was with Paul Charles in this meeting. And we were just having uh, coffee at a breakfast place. And the guy says, yeah, you know, we really want to come and support you and be a part of that. And I thought, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And then he brought out a 20-page document, and I needed to affirm some different constitution, and I needed to be a part of a different denomination. And I go, I, you know, I'm so grateful that the Lord even put you on my heart to even do that. But, you know, you're <coughs> part of the Calvary Chapel family, and that's just not how I feel the Lord would really do it. And um, there was a check assigned to that. Like, if I was willing to sign those documents, you would have got a fancy check. But I was just like, no, that's not for me. And I'm not to say that that's how that goes. Like, it's by relationships. And if you know of an organization or you know of people that are already net working in that direction and have the same heart, it says in the book of Amos, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, sometimes we'd be agreed, and that'd be great. And I don't want to say no or be obnoxious. But you also have to know that attitude that I have that I just be like, no, you know, I just want to be completely unencumbered. You know, no, I get that. I get that, but you don't want to shut any doors that like that exactly. Open. You know, Ten years ago I would have said, nah. But now, you know, I'm a little bit wiser in my own age. I don't want to say smart, but and I'm not trying to be negative, but the whole Venezuelan situation started like exploding ten years ago. But before that there was no missionary church, there was no hope in Venezuela, there was no body and there's no people. So this is probably new ten years from ten years ago started the we don't even know what missionary church means after Venezuela. We don't know what that is. We don't know people coming to help us. That's pretty new for us. So I doubt there's any people going out over there. And if they are, it's probably not US citizens like you mentioned because you guys are like at risk of being there. Yeah, in the defense, you know, there's a lot of like I know foreign missionaries. Nobody like like the, the WHO, like people doing yeah. mm -hmm. some stuff like medicine wise and stuff like that. But religious, I'm not so sure. I'm sure the Mormons are down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to be careful because I'm in the same boat of saying no, never, you know, mm -hmm. absolute terms. You don't want to use those absolute terms. Usually, when you hear about missionary trips, you hear about Honduras. You hear about Peru, you hear about other places like Venezuela, and even Colombia. I dare to say that's your comment. And like you said, though, we're the longest time. It was the richest country in South yeah, America. It was oil like, money for those that's that that mean, 10 time. years ago. But people still feel like, oh, they'll, they'll buy it. So, and propaganda and the government took care of that. Oh, this is perfectly not this way. You know, the reality because you have family there, we told you. And you know what's going on there. Yeah. Is, uh, I just want to go back to that and I'll come back to you. That is, that if you do find an organization, though, that you feel like we should be partnering with in Calvary Chapel, Low Country, bring me the information 
just know that the answer, you're guilty until proven innocent around here. So it's going to be no, and there's a slim chance that the Lord may open the door. I don't want people's feelings to be hurt, but I want you guys to be involved in seeing stuff. Now, what was your question? Well, I was just going to ask, you were talking about Venezuela. What is, is Roman Catholic Catholicism, yeah. the main Pretty religion much. there? Okay. Yeah. At least. Whatever you want to say, though, but the majority is secular Roman Catholic. discussions over time. You know, I want to do a better job of uh, being more forthright on some of those things. I mean, this is stuff that the Lord's been working on for five years now, and this might be the first time that you've ever even heard of it, outside of private conversations. So, but we've been very patient because we feel like the Lord has confirmed those things over time, and you can tell that we wait a long time before we make decisions around here, but when we do, we go crazy all in, too. So, um, we'll see how the Lord leads us. Well, with that, we did go a little over. Let's um, close in a word of prayer. I'm going to have Dana, I'm going to have you close us out in prayer. And then we're all dismissed, and we can liberate poor Melissa from the back of the kids. Uh, dear Lord, we just want to thank you for this time of fellowship, and uh, just so, just for just allowing us to be here and talk about Pastors My Heart and about um, your plans for South America, Lord, whether it's Venezuela or any other countries, Lord. I just want to praise you, and, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that you gave us to go to Peru and meet everybody at CBI, and um, just to allow us to meet these people and show us what's going on over there, Lord, and show us the ways so that we can also um, go ahead and be able to partake of that, and uh, just for putting your heart and putting your word out there, Lord, not just here, not just the people that we know, but other countries, Lord. And I just want to ask you to just open our hearts to want more and just to be open to these mission trips and and uh, just help us find the information that we need so that we can open those doors in Venezuela and in any other country that you call this because in the end, Lord, it's just about your call and about your great commission. And uh, I just want to ask you to just keep us safe and take us home safely now that we're going home and uh, just continue to help us grow in you and uh, to be the light to those around us so they can be closer to you as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.